Welcome to our first real episode of the Tapes Archive Podcast. The episode before this one gave a brief overview of what this podcast series is about, but in case you missed it, the Tapes Archives will present interviews of artists that we guarantee you have never heard. How can we make such a claim? Well, for the past 30 years, these tapes have been sitting in a vault and at no time were they played for anyone. But today that all changes because we are opening the vault. You know, one of the difficult parts of putting this podcast together was deciding whose interview do we play first. Considering we have well over 300 tapes of different artists, actors, musicians, comedians, and other notable figures to choose from, it was a tough call to make. We decided to follow in Saturday Night Live's footsteps and have our first guest be the immensely missed George Carlin. At the time of this interview in 1989, George Carlin was 52 years old, a 30-year veteran of stand-up comedy, and in the middle of yet another tour. He also had a role that year in the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. By this point in his career, Carlin was already considered one of the two or three greatest stand-up comics of all time. His credits included performing on the very first episode of Saturday Night Live, and his seven dirty words you can never say on television routine had been part of a landmark U.S. Supreme Court decision on the use of a obscene language. And I think you'll agree when you listen to him speak in this interview, you'll note that he was way ahead of his time when it comes to political commentary. Before we play the Carlin interview, we need to do a little housekeeping. If you'd like to support the show, please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. There, we post other content and information not available on the podcast. If you'd like to read the transcripts for any of our episodes, please head over to our website at thetapesarchive.com. We'll jump into the interview after a quick word from our sponsors. The Tapes Archive is proud to be sponsored by the true crime documentary, Dead Man's Line. You've got a hundred armed officers around here trying to get a shot at me. I dared him to shoot me. I didn't go down there to be a buffoon. I went down there for vengeance. And by God, I'll have vengeance. In 1977, Tony Karitsis kidnapped a mortgage broker and held him captive for three days. For the first time ever, the media was able to cover the event live. To some, Tony was a hero. To others, he was a crazed thug. Dead Man's Line, the true story of Tony Karitsis. This award-winning film is available exclusively on Amazon Prime. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault. It's George Carlin. Hi. How you doing? Good. Thanks for calling. Uh, where are you calling from today? I'm in Hall in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Good. Um, anyway, let me start out. You were here, um, I guess, in uh, March of 88. Uh, the article that we read in the paper said that uh, the lead was George Carlin is angrier than he's ever been. So uh, last year you were angry. Are you still angry? Well, of course, that's their interpretation. I, 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 do, I do the same kind of things. I talk about what's, uh, you know, what's on my mind. Some things are, uh, have, a, I guess, a, uh, an angry tone, maybe. I don't know. Uh, some of them don't. You know, there's a mixture. I always do a mixture of things. So I don't know what they were focusing on. Probably the thing about Christians. Yeah, it, the, the next graph says his ire has been sparked by television evangelists, the Reagan administration, double standards, and in general just what some people can do with that. Or some people you can do with that. Yeah, that was uh, those were a, a series of routines. There's other stuff now that uh, 
that might uh, fill the same role for me, you know, things that spark your uh, your emotions. Mm-hmm. Such as? Oh, I'd rather wait and have those appear in the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That sounds fine. I was wondering, I, I think the last time I may have seen you on TV would have been uh, on Carson or Letterman, Letterman recently, right? Uh-huh. Not that long ago. And I was just wondering, and I hope this doesn't sound like a ridiculous question, but I was wondering if you were enjoying yourself. Whenever I see you, I get kind of the impression that, uh, that you're a little angry and, and uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know exactly how to phrase it, but you just... I, I just get the impression sometimes that you're not entirely enjoying yourself. Well, on, the Letterman show isn't a very comfortable place for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carson, I, I don't see any. I don't see that being a, a factor. I, I usually am doing a lot of uh, silly, uh, <clears throat> made-up type of material from the from the panel, and not relating very much to real life the way a lot of people do on the panel. Letterman is, is difficult to know what he's thinking, and and I don't. Uh, I'm not comfortable like that. So it's a discomfort that you probably see. Yeah, um, what happens there? I mean, because they do prepare you for questions, right? Or they give you an idea of what he's... You know, you suggest the things you'd like to be asked. But does he not do that? No, he does them. It's just that uh, I always get the feeling just he's in a hurry for me to leave. Seems uh, preoccupied. Other people have said that. I don't know if it's the truth. It's just what the perception is. So will we not see you on Letterman much? No, I'll probably keep doing it until I get it right. Oh, okay. Um, and then uh, another uh, instance where I've seen you on TV recently was um, a Saturday Night Live rerun. Uh, yeah. We did your bit about religion, about questioning the existence of God and right. not forcing religion on others. Right, that, that's from the first show, right? Yeah. It occurred to me even when I was watching that, that that that's pretty racy stuff, and it must have been really, you know, even more considered even more racy in the in the 70s. Did you get uh, any kind of uh, reaction to that? And that uh, was there a problem with doing that kind of uh, piece well, on TV? Uh, I believe we had the Cardinal on the air, uh, not on the air, we had him on the phone before the show left the air that night. Oh, really? From, uh, from the diocese in New York. Uh-huh. That would have been Cardinal... Uh, O'Connor, was it? Or? I don't know if O'Connor was in yet in 75. Okay. But uh, whoever he was, yes, he was on the phone and complaining about things. So he watched Saturday Night Live. Apparently. Yeah. And uh, it, I know that, um, I, I guess Sam Kennison was on there a couple of years ago and did uh, some material uh, about uh, Jesus on the cross and screaming, and, and apparently that one, you know, just people went nuts over that. I was yeah. wondering, uh, you know, did, did you have a problem getting your material by uh, standards and practices? No, I, I didn't have any uh, problem getting it to the stage where it was done. The problem came when it was, once it was on the air. Uh-huh. Uh, the people on the show, so, you know, they they, uh, they didn't object to it, and as far as I remember, I had no uh, resistance from uh, standards and practices. Uh-huh. So it was just uh, the, the cardinal and then uh, any other problems with that? The usual moral police. No, just the cardinal. <laughs> Uh, along those lines, uh, uh, do, do you consider yourself something of a philosopher as well as a comedian? Well, uh, only by the very broadest definition in that we're all somewhat of, a, of philosophers and, uh, and, and comedians who talk about uh, what goes on uh, around them and give their own slant to it, sort of qualify 
to, to a lot of the material I do. And does that, um, so do you feel like that separates you from, from uh, most of the other people who are doing stand-up? No. No? Not really. I don't think of myself uh, so much with respect to who they are and who I am. I, you know, I pretty much operate in my own world, and I let other people draw conclusions or make comparisons. Um, I'm too busy uh, trying to get what I do right, you know, to get my observations into, uh, into the, the patterns of thought that I want and then try to translate them into language and then perform them. That's a long and exacting process, and so I'm pretty much bound up in that and not so much who else is doing what. Does the process of, of creating um, your comedy come in different ways, or is it, uh, I mean, are you somebody who sits down at, at a typewriter and starts writing at nine in the morning, or? No, it's, it's just a, a series of uh, steps that take place haphazardly, and the, the file cabinet contains most of the things that are uh, sort of in waiting, ready to, to be transformed into usable language. You know, and um, that's that's the holding pen. Although you know the observations keep coming, and and the comparisons that the observations represent—that is, you know, you, you know, you have a world view, and and it's it's like a, a your matrix. And so when you see things happen, you're comparing those things to what you already know and how you already feel, and that produces your impression. And so those are the things I write down. Those, uh, those impressions that I get from the world. And so uh, some of them are in half-formed states. Some of them are just ideas, just highlights, key words, patterns that I see. So later on, when I want to work on something, I'll take out the things I have on it and, and sort of put it into a um, rough shape so that it can be delivered. And, and that means just a few sentences. And then uh, that's when it becomes, that's the other part of the work. The work then takes place mostly on stage. So you must have some sort of elaborate filing system? Well, it's, it's, it's considerable. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a full drawer, mm -hmm. uh, a full, long, deep file drawer, but um, it's not elaborate. It just has certain normal classifications that I find crop up. Mm -hmm. uh, like words, politics, things like that? Yeah, values, religion, <laughs> self. Politics, um, uh, pets, food, yeah, things like that. <laughs> okay, given your views, which I, which I guess um, would be described as as liberal, would that be fair? Well, if we were using those terms, it would be more liberal than conservative. They're just sort of unconventional. <laughs> okay. Do you feel out of step at all with the, the conservative uh, tide in the country now? Well, I consider the whole country, you know, to be one large political party, mm -hmm. two wings. And I'm out of step with both wings, but on some issues, I come closer to the left wing and the libertarian or the anarchist, you know, or the... Um, wait a minute, my dog is going to ruin the door if I don't listen. <laughs> okay. I'm out there among those groups I just mentioned, but that, that's the kind of stuff I, I uh, resonate with. 
the most. But now you look at the country, and the country seems to be, uh, I don't know, we're almost back in the 50s again, I think, you know, morality-wise. It's issue by issue. Yeah. If you, if you look at this conservative versus liberal thing, you, could, you would find, I think, that um, on an awful lot of social issues where it comes to caring for people and when it comes to uh, cleaning up the environment and, um, and and a number of other things, the polls would show people to be more liberal than they are taken to be. The, the, the voting results come out more conservative mm -hmm. um, because the Republicans have learned how to win elections and not how to govern. And so the people... Um, the people keep voting for them and expecting, you know, I don't know when people finally will get disillusioned, but, but they keep expecting these things to happen that they're promised, and they just keep getting worse. I think it takes a cataclysm for people to see their own best interest again. And uh, this year, it seems like there's more discussion of that. Um, I, I, I guess I can just point to popular music as, as an example of, you know, that there's a lot more songs discussing the ideas that we could have changed the world, and we did change the world in 69, we better change it yeah. in 89. Do you feel at all that, that the changes that, that have taken place in the last 20 years, and that, that liberalism in some sense got the country into the, the mess we're in today? No, I don't really. I, I do believe that the, uh, that the people generally from the 60s through the 70s learned to take a little more control and command and responsibility for their own lives in terms of what they were allowed to think and say and uh, enjoy in terms of popular entertainment. They... Um, you know, everything in popular entertainment is different now when you think of its, uh, the limits on, on topics and subject matter and language, from Broadway shows through movies, rock lyrics, and fashion design even. Uh, comedy went along in that wave. It's, uh, it's a different place in those terms. In terms of liberal education, that was going on for, for, for many, many, many decades previously and i think there might be a problem there i think that might have been a big mistake the kind of education system we set up because uh, all the education system in this country does is to produce uh good little faithful consumers and i don't think that's what we need i don't think they teach people how to think if you were uh, in charge would you be talking about more philosophy more uh, liberal arts kinds of things i don't know i i, I don't feel uh, competent to to say what, what ought to be done. I think what ought to be done to find out what ought to be done is to start over again and to build. You know, the very fact that universities are involved in defense research is appalling. And, and uh, you know, it, it's just, uh, it works exactly the, in the opposite direction from what the educational system is supposed to be. It's supposed to make you think and, and learn to, uh, to love thinking and, and love learning, and it, it doesn't seem to do that. It just seems to produce people who are interested in having a career. And, and the, the ruling, you know, whatever you want to call the ruling class in this country, whether you call it the national security state or the business elite, uh, they have an agenda. They set the limits of debate in this country. There is no real debate. They say Congress is now going to debate some issue, Nicaragua 
Well, the debate is over. The limits have been set. You can't go beyond those limits and be taken seriously. So uh, I think the universities play into that. I think it's, a, it's an unholy alliance of the media, which is now controlled by 29 corporations. That's all. The information flow in this country is controlled by 29 corporations. The elected representatives, most of whom are millionaires and are elected by the defense industry, and the uh, national security state, which is the NSC, the NSA, the CIA, the Defense Department, and all of these companies. I think these are the people who set the agendas, and this is the lockstep we march to. So the, I don't know how you overcome that. I don't think there's any hope for that. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound, uh, ter- you know, like a very good situation. No. Or, uh, but we get, Americans get what they deserve. Your role in this is to maybe just make everybody see what they, you know, what we're in? Uh, well, if that were the only thing, I'd, I'd choose a different form than comedy. But what I love to do is to entertain. I don't take the universe very seriously. I think it's a big joke. And so I try <laughs> to convey that feeling to other people. Those who get something from it, that's fine. Those who are merely entertained and diverted by it, that's another thing, and that's okay. Would you elaborate on that a little bit? You see that you think the universe is a big joke? Well, it's a big accident. Uh-huh. I mean, the very fact that, that we humans are here with this consciousness is an accident. If the, uh, if the dinosaurs hadn't been wiped out, the mammals, who were very small and had no room to expand their domain, would never have evolved into large mammals and into human beings and into human consciousness. They would have remained the size of ferrets. Well, the fact that something, whether it was an asteroid or volcanism or whatever it is that came along that blocked out the sun long enough to, to kill off the dinosaurs made room for us. That's an accident. That's a joke. People take that seriously. People say God did that. People say we're destined to do things. People say we have rights. There is no such thing as rights. We made up rights. You don't hear rocks and trees walking around talking about their rights. We made that up. It's all a joke. It's all a man-made joke. No, it's not really a time. People say it's 8 o'clock. That's a joke. Not 8 o'clock. This is all stuff we made to make ourselves feel comfortable. And as a result, it's very fragile, and it's, it's uh, completely artificial. So I see that, and to me, this is just a free-floating, I'm just a free-floating organism in this uh, structured thing that people need to put together, you know, for their own comfort. Agriculture is what ruins this, this uh, civilization. How's prior that? Agriculture, prior to agriculture, we had hunter-gatherers. And uh, the hunter-gathering societies that still exist today and that have existed in this century, who have been studied, were seen to be in a form of Eden, a form of paradise. It was just the right amount of food. The work was not considered work. It was considered a form of socializing. Language grew by leaps and bounds when hunter-gatherers worked together. When agriculture came along, they began the problem of owning property. This is our agriculture. We will store these grains here. This is where we farm. We'll put up this fence. You can't come here. All of this rivalry stuff started. Wars, priests, hierarchy, law, commerce, all of the things that have brought us to this sorry state started because of agriculture. And that's what the loss of Eden is about. That's what that's where the paradise myth comes in in man's histories. Many, many cultures have a myth 
of a lost paradise. And what it amounts to is the loss of innocence and freedom that hunter-gatherer societies represented. Leastways, that's what I read. Okay. I'm going to have to run. I'm late doing another interview. Oh, um, geez, boy, I have a lot of other stuff I wanted to yeah, ask you. How long do they tell you? It's usually only 15 minutes. Uh, I got a 9 o'clock call I got to make. And they told me I could have a half hour with you. Well, who said that? Uh, your people at, uh, at your agency. What are they called? I'm going to have to talk to them. Okay. Can okay, we... let's just go a little bit longer then. Okay, if, uh, if that would be great. Um, I appreciate it. Let me talk to you about uh, some, some things. Did they also tell you to tape record? Yes, and I am tape yeah. recording. Okay. And they, they said you requested it, yeah. so, uh, which I would have done anyway. But um, anyway, uh, TV seems to be eating comedy at kind of an alarming rate. And, uh, and to my mind, a lot of what I see is pretty poor quality. Well, yeah. What do you think? Well, I don't see a lot of it. Uh-huh. So I don't know, but I agree that when I flash the dial across, I don't see much that holds it in one place. Although I'm going to probably wind up doing a TV show. I hope it's better than average. Uh -huh. Are you talking about a network TV show? Yeah, CBS is interested, and we're working on a pilot script right now. What, what kind of show, can you tell? Uh, no, not really, not yet. Uh -huh. okay. Too early, but it would be a half-hour comedy, and... Um, and it would be in the setting and the situation which would be believable for me, where people could uh, sort of see me and believe me in that setting. Not, you know, not, you know as the father of three girls. Uh -huh. uh, are we talking about like a replacement show coming up, or maybe for next season or something? No, it would be aimed at next fall if next it tested fall. well. Huh, okay. Probably, the pilot will probably be done in January or February, tested in March, and then they make their decision. How about, let me talk about your records also. Uh, how, how have your comedy records done uh, sales-wise in the past few years? Well, no, they don't do as well as they used to. Yeah. I had four gold records in the 70s. Right. But that, um, that era passed, and uh, my mass market is reached through HBO. I don't, I don't depend on records for anything. I put them out more or less as sentimental artifacts to, to complete the collection, to, to have them out, and as part of my... Um, my, you know, my, my work on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Is the fact that CDs have become so popular hurt comedy albums as well? No, I just think they never really, comedy albums never really had a predictable portion of the market. It was always kind of hit and miss. Okay. Uh, and you started your own record label to put the... Yeah, just so I could control the, the output better. Control the uh, promotion and advertising and how the records were used and where they went and who had charge of them. You know, it's nice to control your own work. It increases the profit that you keep, too, if you own a company. Right. Um, a, a little bit about your movies, too. Um, although, you know, you're probably, if, if not the smartest comedian, or uh, well, certainly one of them, you haven't really made highbrow comedy films. Is that uh, by design? Uh, I haven't really been a part of the movie scene in general. I've only done a couple of small parts in the last four years or so. Uh, Outrageous Fortune and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And that's because people in, who make movies don't see me as a movie actor or, act, or movie personality. They're very, you know, I've tried and, I, and it'll get better, I'm sure. And some things will happen for me, especially if the TV thing were to click. But they're not in the business of finding new things to do in the movies. They're pretty much in the business of saying, well, that was good. How can we do that again? Uh, so they, they're not sitting around trying to find a place for a 52-year-old comic who's been around 30 years. 
comic, period. It takes a little bit of vision to understand that I have other abilities, other talents, and that I bring with me a built-in following, a built-in audience. So I have to kind of wait for the specific slots to come up where I'm just right, and then I have to hope that the person who's filling that slot uh, thinks of me or sees me in that manner. So I'm just kind of waiting. We keep trying. We keep looking at, at certain things that aren't suitable, and then there are things that we'd like that I don't get. So it's a matter of waiting. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I had a good, long flurry of having things my own way. There's nothing wrong with a little frustration. Okay. If you were a new comic today, do you think you'd be as successful as you have been? If I came along with all of my belief systems in in place the way they were in 1960, well, I'd, first of all, I'd be some kind of a freak. I, I, it's hard to answer because I don't know whether we mean if I were who I am today coming along today, who I was then coming along today, or some other kind of new person coming along today. I mean, if you came along right as you are right now, yeah. you had never made a record, no one had ever heard of you, yeah. and you got out on the uh, I'd stage? I'd kill. I'd absolutely kill. I'm doing my very best work right now. Really? I'm not doing my, yes. The observations are sharper than ever. The, uh, the connections I'm drawing, uh, the language I use, that is to say not, you know, anything about good or bad language, just the language. The uh, words I use to say my things, uh, all of it's better now, because I'm, I'm clear and I'm integrated now. Okay. Uh, two other things I was going to ask you. But do you have any reaction to uh, what's happened with Jackie Mason and this Rudolph Giuliani stuff in New York? Well, uh, I think it's funny that, you know, Rudolph Giuliani is such a, Rudolph Giuliani is such a, a simp, you know, such a, a dork. Uh, anything bad happens to him, I'm in favor of. Uh, as far as Jackie Mason concerned, I don't concern, consider Jackie Mason inherently bad for him or bad for anyone else. I love Jackie Mason's work and always have, even when a lot of people hadn't heard of him. But the fact that he's injured Giuliani makes me happy. The fact that he's hurt himself, does that bother you? I don't think it'll hurt Jackie Mason. Mm. He is and always was you know, what he is, and, and that's the way he is. He does jokes about people's differences. Some of those differences are ethnic. Okay. And that's what he does. That's his shtick, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Okay. If I can keep you on for two more minutes, okay. I just wanted to throw out some, some name people, names of people and things and just give me instant reaction, if you would. Right. Dan Quayle. He's, I don't know, he's pretty a frightening individual when you think about the, the background, you know, the family's background. Uh, he, he is himself, as a simple-minded man, probably wouldn't hurt anybody because I don't think he has very much intellectual capacity. But coming from a powerful family, and I understand his wife's father is a little strange, those things give me pause. Yeah, his family owns my newspaper, so yeah. they'll like that. Uh, <laughs> dangerous people. And uh, the, the media, the, the ownership of media in this country, very dangerous. Um, along the lines, USA Today. Yeah. What do you think of that? Well, USA Today is funny because they tried to make a television show out of a newspaper that already is an imitation of television news. I mean, I love USA Today. I love a newspaper. You don't ever have to turn the page to finish the story. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's absurd, you know. Yeah. Donald Trump. 
nothing Americans need because Americans don't want to know the truth. <laughs> Donald Trump. Uh, an interesting kind of a sideshow. You know, a real rat. It would be nice to see him run over by a truck. But <laughs> but he makes life interesting. These people make my life interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't help but marvel at the Leona Helmsleys and the Ali Norths and the Donald Trumps, the Zsa Gabors and the, the uh, uh, Bess Meyersons and all of these all of these people who managed to get themselves in these ridiculous situations. I, I just, I'm very entertained by the world. Okay, Jesse Jackson. Jesse means well, you know, he's got a lot of good uh, heart and intention. He wants certain things to be right, but uh, he's another odd actor. You know, he has a, he has a style that's unusual. I like Jesse's politics. I'd vote for him in spite of my, in spite of my feelings about his style. Crack. Crack. America, America gets what it deserves. You see, America taught everybody the work ethic and, and free enterprise. So all of these Jamaicans went into business. They came here and they said, how can we make, how can we make a product smaller, cheaper, more powerful, but people will want. And that's what they did. They took their lessons from American industry, and I wish them luck. 30-something. I have never seen it. Everything I've read about it makes me just a little ill from a distance, and I'm afraid if I ever watched it, I'd probably throw up all over it. And uh, last thing, and I'll let you go, the Rolling Stones. Uh, always and forever the Stones. I think it's terrific that the, uh, the rock and rollers who who really understood what rock and roll was about, defiance, and not about, you know, um, things like Bon Jovi, but, but real true uh, defiance. That, that, that I'm, I'm happy that they're still making some music. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed.